0: I um, did a quick search this week for the oldest companies in the world. The oldest companies in the world. Think about that. Uh, I found all kinds of interesting things. So uh, in kindness to our our local Ohioans, especially on a day such as this, there's some game this evening. Um, uh, uh, The oldest company in Ohio is the Golden Lamb. I'm just curious. Has anybody ever been there? It's in Lebanon, Ohio. It is a restaurant that was established in 1803. It has served 12 presidents and still serves people there today. For Pennsylvanians, as Pennsylvanians. The Roland Company was opened in 1732 as a manufacturer of tools like shovels and wagon equipment. Today they make industrial power transmission products. And Brent Ward, if that's a competitor of yours, I'm sorry that I've mentioned them in the on. But they, they are in Philadelphia, right? Uh, the Roland Company. The oldest company in the U.S. is the Shirley Plantation, established in 1613 in Charles City, Virginia. Now a National Historic Landmark. Has had 11 generations who have continually owned, operated, and resided there. Pretty amazing place, actually. But The oldest company in the world. Anybody want to take a guess how old the oldest company in the world is? You're all too chicken. It's a construction company. It's in Okasa, Japan. And it was established in the year 578. Wow. It's like over 1400 years old. uh, they had some financial trouble in 2006, and they got swallowed up by a larger contingency, but they are still running as that company. Like, the year 578 doesn't, like, register for me, right? So here's the, that's the oldest, co- so there you go. They're, their name is Congo Gummy. It's really easy to remember, Congo Gummy. I may be destroying that from a Japanese listener, but the reality is, is that is the name of the company. So why in the world, you ask, right? Here's, here's number one question this morning. Why was Rick thinking of the oldest companies in the world? Well, I was curious about successful succession strategies. That's hard to say, so I have to slow down and say it. I was curious about successful succession strategies. Then the second question is, why is Rick curious about successful succession strategies? Well, it's because our text this morning in Second Kings 2 is just that. It is a succession story. It's someone handing the mantle to someone else. And if you're just joining us, we've been in a series just starting last week on the life of. Elisha. Thank you for the two people that remembered. That's good. And, and, and the reality is, is that the theme of this is looking at Elisha as one who is a messenger of hope. So two things that we're going to hear over and over again is what is it that Elisha is saying or doing that brings us hope in a day in which we live? And how in all of that can we be inspired to be a messenger of hope? as well. So turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 2 verses 1 through 14 and it is a spectacular group of verses this morning, story that we have this morning of an amazing succession strategy among two prophets, uh, one being Elijah, the other being Elisha. 2 Kings chapter 2 uh, verses 1 through 14. Listen to the word of God. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, it's amazing already, isn't it? Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, Listen, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha, and they said to him... Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from you? And he said, yes, I know it. Shut up. Well, he said, keep quiet. But you, you hear the tenseness in, in, in the language, right? Verse 4, Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me now to Jericho. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. And then for a third time, Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the river Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up, and he struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. Let that sink in. Hit the river with a cloak, and it parts so you can walk through it when they had crossed Elijah said to Elisha ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you and Elisha said please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me and he said you have asked a hard thing yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you it shall be so for you but if you do not see me it shall not be so (laughs) get this you ready for this And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire, not the movie, but literally chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen and he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other. And Elisha went over. Oh, may God help us today in the understanding of his word. Amazing text. So much there. But we're going to go quickly to really focus on the succession of these two prophets, of Elijah and Elisha. We start in these early verses of chapter 2 on a journey. So Elijah somehow knows that he is in his last days, not because he's old or his health is bad, but because of the word of the Lord. God has told him the Lord was about to take up Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind. How would you like to get that word, right? Hey, here in a couple of weeks, there's going to be a big tornado. You're going to get sucked into heaven. Whoa. All right. So there it is. So he's going to make a final journey. It's his farewell tour, right? And he is lining up these cities in order to go to. He goes from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho and then to the Jordan River. None of those are extremely far away from one another. They don't necessarily make sense in the order that they go. But if you think about being on mountains, it is a mountain pass down to the Jordan River. Many of these places were there. Uh, that that he was going to visit, have remaining schools of prophets. Now, if you remember from last week, uh, the prophets aren't very popular by King Ahab, who is in the rule of Israel at that point, nor his wife Jezebel. So most of the prophets are like hanging out in caves, scared to death, right? But Elijah says, on my final farewell tour, I'm going to visit these places and visit the prophets as I go. It makes sense. Right? But there's something else about this journey that we must notice. It's not just a sentimental farewell tour, it is actually prophecy in action. The journey that Elijah and Elisha take is the reverse of the journey of the Israelites as they came into the promised land after wandering in the wilderness. So let me go back with you, right? Uh, Remember, uh, Israel is enslaved in Egypt, and Moses says, let my people... And he eventually does, right? And they cross the Red Sea, they wander in the wilderness, but here's this amazing day in which they're about to go into the Promised Land, and they cross the Jordan River, right? And in that, they cross the Jordan River, they go to Gilgal, and then they go to Jericho, and then they go to Ai, which is... Really near to Bethel, but since it doesn't exist anymore because God destroyed it, right? In this text, we see it identified as Bethel. Uh, the order is close enough in reverse. The, the 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 order of Joshua chapter three through eight, which is where that is found, right, is 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 uh, recorded there. This order now that that Elijah and Elisha do is, is so close in reverse that most commentators look at it and go, there's something here. So your pastor looked at it and he said, there's something here. What is it? Well, I want you to see that Elijah in this final journey was actually living out a prophecy. He's living out a prophecy of how God's judgment on Israel Will now drive them out of the promised land. See, they've they've not been there. They're they're in a heap of trouble already. Bad kings all over the place. All kinds of uh, foreign gods, the Baal gods, all these kinds of things, and they're in deep doo doo, right? There's a picture to draw, right? They're, they're in deep Judah, right? But, but here is God saying, listen, Elijah, through your life, what I'm going to do is, is show my judgment on the people. This journey that you're going to take is going to be instructive and illustrative of the fact that I'm going to drive now in, in judgment my people out. You still with me? We, we need some deep waders here, right? You Ready? But, but I also want you to see something really cool in the midst of a prophecy that is just so depressing. Right? What does Elijah do when he gets to the Jordan River? He takes his cloak, right? And in the power of God, he slaps the Jordan River. And the Jordan River parts. And him and Elisha walk across. Here's what I believe God is saying. Listen, I am going to exile you the nation of Israel. My people, I'm going to thrust out of my land in my judgment. But it does not mean that I am not with you. Because my power and my strength, even in your exile, is strong. Strong enough that when you slap your coat on some water, it parts. And I want us to hear this morning that when God judges us, When God disciplines us, it is because He loves us. And in that love, He provides for us even in our judgment. So hang on to that for just a second, right? We're coming back. This journey is a remarkable journey, not just a farewell journey, but a journey of purpose, prophetic purpose. And it has a lot to do with God's plan of succession. At the end of the journey... We see a request. Point number two this morning is the request. It comes on the other side of the Jordan. As Elijah and Elisha cross the Jordan, Elijah turns to Elisha and he asks him, basically, like, "What can I do for you? Well, what can I do for you?" So, in that, notice that Elisha, <laughs> get this, is still with Elijah. There's a miracle in just that point. It's a conversation that happens on the journey that we just finished talking about, right? They are on the farewell tour. Elijah tells Elisha on three occasions to remain where he is. And Elisha does what? He refuses. He says, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And Elijah goes, okay, well, come on. And they go to the next place. And Elijah says to Elisha, stay here. And he goes, no, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Okay, come on. And they go to the third place. And he says, now, stay here. He says, no, listen, as the Lord lives and as you yourself, Lord, I'm not going to leave you. Now, some want to say that Elijah is just looking for some privacy. God's come to him earlier in the week. He says, you're going to die. Uh, and, and, and Elijah's just this private guy. And he's like, man, I just want to die alone. Uh, so I know this whirlwind's coming. So Elijah, just stay here. I'm on my way, right? I, I don't like that explanation. Here's the explanation that I like. That some commentators have suggested as well. That actually, Elijah is testing Elisha's faithfulness to him as a leader. He gives him an invitation. I think it's a genuine, authentic invitation. Why don't you stay here? Oh, but he is pleased. He is pleased when Elisha says, no, listen, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And he goes. Get it? Elisha is revealing his faithfulness to his friend and to his mentor, all the while learning from him. And and note the number of times this happens. How many? Three times? Does it remind you of anything? Think New Testament. Peter. (laughs) Right? So he denies the Lord, three times. But at the end of chapter John, what does the, the, the end of uh, the last, uh, the end of book of John, the last chapter? What does Jesus do? He reinstates Peter by asking him three times, "Do you love me?" Peter says, "Yes, I love you." And it is so um, apparent that it connects to this reality, right? And it connects us to, I think, the reality that. Elijah is testing Elisha along the way, and his threefold remark of being faithful to his mentor, to his teacher, is one that shows his faithfulness even to God. So, back to the request, right? So, here they are. Elijah looks at Elisha as a faithful follower, and he asks, What do you want? And Elisha asks for a double portion of his spirit. Yikes, another debated phrase that everybody has an opinion about. But most likely, most likely, listen, refers to the blessing given to an oldest son at a father's death. The oldest son is traditionally in Jewish uh, history and uh, in context, the oldest son is given double the inheritance with all the responsibilities that go with it in a father's death. some of you oldest sons are going, I like that. That's good, right? Well, it's interesting here. Get this. Elisha is not only asking for the blessing as the oldest son, but he is declaring his strong tie to Elijah. He is not Elijah's son. But he recognizes he is the one to carry on what Elijah has accomplished. Basically, we saw this last week. Elisha is not going back to the farm. When Elijah dies, he's not going to give up on the responsibility that has been given him, the call that has been placed on him. So here, Elisha is asking for a double portion, certainly as he wants God's spirit to be upon him. But here also, the reality that Elisha is saying to Elijah in asking is that I declare myself your son and I will remain faithful to this call even when you are gone. This is what brings the response of Elijah. He says, you have asked a hard thing. Not because it's such a hard thing to give, as much as it's going to be a hard thing for Elisha to receive. This call, this weight of being a prophet in the life of Israel in that day. So here, the great bond between these two. And see God's plan for succession being played out in this relationship. Uh, then comes the whirlwind. Third point this morning is this, the whirlwind. There's much to say here about Elijah and this amazing way that he is taken from the earth. But really all I want you to see this morning is how super cool it is. Right? Uh, Elijah's life has been about supernatural power in him and through him and how appropriate that he go out in a tornado surrounded by flaming chariots. Right? a guy by the name of Philip Brooks. He's quoted as saying this. Great quote. Uh, Get ready to take a picture of this. You're going to like it. Oh, do not pray for easy lives. Pray rather to be stronger men. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Yikes. Then the doing of your work shall be no miracle, but you, you shall be a miracle. I don't know that you can find a quote that describes the reality of Elijah's life better than that. This, this is the case of Elijah. And is it what brings such an emotional response from Elisha at his death, even though he knows his death is coming. This moment to watch this man of God whom he has now spent probably close to a decade with brings anguish but also brings the weight of the call that is now on him to carry on. It's an emotional moment of succession and it is a significant moment of succession and what I want us to see as we head to close is this, that it's a gospel moment of succession. The next point is this in this story is the reversal, right? So we have the journey, the request, the whirlwind, and then the reversal. What does Elisha do first as the prophet of Israel? Did you notice that very last verse? He he picks up the cloak that has fallen from the sky as Elijah was taken up. The cloak that had been placed on him when he was called, the cloak that represents the power and the purpose of God in the prophet. And he takes it where? Down to the Jordan River. Now alone on his side of the river because Elijah has been taken up, but the prophet's watching from the other side. And he strikes the water with Elijah's cloak and he cries out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Question, is it a time of doubt for Elisha? Is he going like, God, where are you? I don't think so. I think rather it's Elisha realizing his call and saying, God, I cannot possibly do this without you. I'm not praying, says Elisha, for tasks equal to my powers, but rather praying for powers equal to my task of being a prophet in the nation of Israel. And what happens? (laughs) God reassures him that he is there as the waters again part and Elisha crosses and thus begins his time as the prophet of Israel. I so badly want to slow all of this down, tear it apart And over the next five hours, share with you the significance of it. But we're going to go quickly. Some of you seem concerned that I might do that. Let's see how well you've learned. Do you think there's a significance in the fact that Elisha has done what Elijah did, but now in reverse? The easy answer to that is yes, it's significant. As much as Elijah was the prophet of judgment that foretold the exile, the going out, Elisha here is a prophet of hope, a prophet of grace that foretells the fact that Israel will return. I want you to get that. This is the great reversal. God looks at Elijah and he says, listen, I'm going to tell a story that has not yet happened. You are a prophet that you are going to illustrate the reality of the exile. But with you is Elisha, whom I leave, that will then in reverse come back, strike the Jordan River. And as in all of those years ago, Joshua chapter 3, verses 8, will reveal prophetically that though you'll be exiled, listen Israel, there is hope because you will return. You will return. We'll see more of this next week. We'll see this throughout these chapters in 2 Kings. But you will see next week even the fact that Elisha takes a very similar journey on the other side of the Jordan as they did coming down to the Jordan. Literally in reverse. To prophetically say, there is hope. There is hope. I want you to get it because it's so good, right? I know of no other God, right, that has written the story from beginning to end, before it started, so that He could write pictures like this into the Scriptures that show, first of all, that He is that sovereign God who has written the whole thing, but also that even when we experience craziness in our country that there is hope that when we experience everything in our lives seemingly falling apart that there is hope that when sin gets the best of us that we feel like we've been driven far from God (laughs) there is what? there is hope because God is faithful In writing your story. That though you want to write it in such a way to run. He's going to write it that you're going to return. That there's someone in your life. A son or a daughter. A grandson. A grandchild. A neighbor. That has run so far. In exile. That this morning we might get a glimmer. Of the prophecy of Elisha. That there is hope if our sin exiles us what is our return it is the coming of jesus The life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. And ultimately, His return to claim us as His children and take us to heaven. You want the Bible in a statement? You ready? The Bible in a statement. Sin throws us out of the presence of God. But Jesus brings us back. So trust Jesus. There it is. Genesis to Revelation. Creation, fall, redemption. Your sin has exiled you from the presence of God, but Jesus has given you the hope of your return. So this morning, trust in Jesus. This is what this text reveals. Is Elisha Jesus? No, he's not Jesus. But he is a physical presence for Israel that provides hope, that says when all the bad stuff comes raining down as a result of your sin, remember Elisha. Because God has promised that there is a way back. That he will provide a way back. Did Elisha get all that? (laughs) No way. He's just kind of doing what he's supposed to do. God said, hey, grab that cloak. Hit the water. Okay, now go here. Okay, I'll go here. But what God is doing is creating a picture for Israel that as they are exiled, they might have the hope of a return. He's presenting a picture to you that as your sin has driven you away from God, that Jesus has provided a way back in perfect relationship with him. It would be the story that as Jesus came, the people of God would tell. That story of Elisha. It would be a story that after Jesus rose from the dead, that the people would tell. Ah, the hope of Elisha. I get it. Aha moments. Moments it would be the story that the Apostle Paul would be inspired by as he writes this in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, a new creation. Because the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And in that same text, Paul says in chapter 5, verse 21, these astounding words For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we, you, might become the righteousness of God. (laughs) It's a story for us this morning. An invitation to, yeah, consider your sin. Your own exile. But only to remember the great reversal that has happened through Jesus Christ. That, as we've sung this morning, His mercy is more. And is a story that reminds us of a glorious day that is yet to come. When the true Elisha. Jesus opens for us a way to see him face to face and to enter into his presence forevermore. The day that Jesus proverbially takes the cloak and hits the river and it parts so that we might join him forevermore in the kingdom of heaven. Rest there for a second. Take it in. Receive it. Maybe even this morning it's the first time you've heard it in that way. May we acknowledge that our sin is death, but yet we do not fear death. But rather we delight in the truth of the gospel that Jesus came in fulfillment of Elisha to die for our sins and to give us life. In the great reversal. But we can't stop there. One final application. That is your great succession story. Our story today in 2 Kings is one of succession. It is indeed an amazing work of God who knew the end of the story when he started the beginning of the story so he could tell stories like this to assure us of his presence and his promises. But listen, it is also instructive, inspiring to me, to us, in being a part of the story of succession. The Apostle Paul in that same place in 2 Corinthians 5 in in which he wrote about the The glorious hope of the gospel says this. All of that is from God who through Christ reconciled, brought us back together to himself. So that he might give us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. Here's what he's saying in verse 20. Therefore, given all of we know of the hope of the gospel, we, church, covenant, are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us, even as he did through Elisha. As he has given us hope, he has made us messengers of hope. He has made us successors in the proclamation of hope. I'll wake you up to finish. Are you ready? Ready? Our hope, ladies and gentlemen, is not in soon-to-be former President Trump. Our hope is not in soon-to-be President Biden. So when we get our undies in a bunch about either of these men or the men or the circumstances around them, we are being distracted. Distracted from being ambassadors of Christ. Because in Christ is our hope. We need not storm the Capitol building, we need to storm the heavens in prayer on our knees, believing that as God has called out Elisha in his day, he is calling out his church for a day such as this to be ambassadors of Christ, messengers of hope. When every other pillar of hope seems to be crumbling. How do we do that? Well, Elisha spent time with Elisha in his succession plan, so I would suggest that you spend time with God. Lots of it. Elisha followed Elijah wherever he went. In essence, he said, Elijah, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Whom you love, I'll love. You know the, That reality is like, Elijah, whatever you do, I'll do. And so here would be My suggestion. How do we do that today? We follow Jesus in the same way. Discerning where he goes that we might go with him. Where he stays, we might stay in that place. Whom he loves, we might love. Thirdly, Elisha picked up the mantle. And he moved forward, exercising the power that God gave him. Not praying, listen, for tasks equal to his powers, but for powers equal to his task. And we need to do the same. To pick up the cloak of God's call, whether that is in whatever vocation you are in, or whether you're a student in a school, or whether you're in kindergarten to a senior, whatever it is that we do, that we begin to learn that we might understand that God has indeed given us the power to accomplish the task that He's called us to. Pick up the cloak. He just might do miracles through you. Listen, that doesn't mean that after church we're all going to the Shenango River with your winter coats. Beat the river and invite all of Sharon to see that they part. Thinking that's not going to happen. But it does mean trusting the power of God to do miracles in our lives. Listen, there are plenty of examples of exile around us. We need to be the people who are proclaiming the hope of the reversal. Who is it, Covenant Church, in your life that you are investing in with the gospel? Who is it in your life that you have asked to invest in you with the gospel? Who's your Elijah? Who is your Elisha? That we together as the people of God might be messengers of hope. Listen, some of you think that we are nuts for beginning Family Connect and high school ministry in the midst of a pandemic. Like, who's doing that? Nobody. I get it. We we probably are nuts. Right? Inviting a bunch of people to hang out together, study the Word of God, put kids together to do crazy stuff and have fun and learn about God. But I I hope you see it in the context that... While we may be nuts, we're nuts for Jesus. And I really hope there are others outside these walls who take notice. The Covenant Church is nuts for Jesus. And it's not because we do not think that the virus is significant. Hear that. It's not because we do not think the virus is significant. But it is because we think Jesus is more significant than our safety. We need to be about the work of a succession plan for the kingdom of God. I can't find it in the Bible where it says, when a virus comes, take some time off. In fact, usually when stuff comes, he says, church, rise up. Rise up. For such a time is this. We need to be about the work of the kingdom of God. It's why we are focused in 2021 on discipleship. Being a community that invests in one another and the world to see the hope of Jesus catch fire. Listen, it doesn't mean all of you should come to Family Connect. I respect decisions to be careful But this text does push us all to be about the task of picking up our cloaks wherever that is and finding hope in what God is doing and then being an ambassador of hope to the world. So as all that information stirs, let me just ask you again. Who is it, Christian, that you are investing in? And who is investing in you? What's your plan of succession in the kingdom of God? There can be no neutral in this. There can be no virus that gets in the way of it. There can be no political fear or excitement that distracts us from it. Because God has called us to it for his glory.